Hey folks, welcome to Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean. Carlos, we uh, we have a pretty we've we're pretty we say special every week. What's a, what's a better word than that? Help me out here with a, a different adjective to describe to describe this guest. I want to say distinguished, but I don't I don't want the connotation of old. But uh, but yes, distinguished, honored member, one of the most honored members of the media family in Detroit. Uh, I would agree with that. One of the one of the nicest guys, the smartest guys. I mean, we're just going to get over the top here. Sorry, uh, special guest. I'm going to I'm going to say that there. No, but but seriously, Carlos, we're we're lucky to have Dan Dickerson, the the voice, the radio voice, play by play voice of the Tigers. Uh, we're going to talk to him about the season that just wrapped up, the press conference we were at today, where uh, the general manager Al, Al Avila, not Avila, and uh, AJ <laughs> AJ Hinch, the manager, spoke and uh, spoke for a while actually. And we'll we'll talk about uh, Dan's journey a little bit in this in this life and and some other stuff, and then we'll wrap up with some Lions talk and whether you should ever go on fourth and five when you don't have a <laughs> when you don't, when you don't have anybody you can throw a fade to in the corner. Well, Galvin Johnson's not on the roster anymore, and then we'll wrap up with uh, Carlos's favorite thing. Dan will probably be surprised that Carlos actually has a favorite thing, but uh, in any case, so let's uh, Carlos, if it's okay to you, let's let's get the Dan. Let's do it. All right. So Dan, welcome. Thanks for thanks for joining us. Uh, I know you're driving where to East to East Lansing or Lansing? Yeah, heading up to Michigan State to uh, help Lori with her uh, with her Spartan Sports Report uh, that she does every Tuesday night. I, I love going up and love helping out. They're great kids. Well, and and for our listeners, uh, that Lori, that's Lori. Is it? Is it? Does she have your last name? I'm trying to remember. Forgive yeah, me. Yeah, Lori Ann. Yep. L- Lori Ann. And she's a she's a professor of in the journalism school up at Michigan State. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I've been there a long time now. Yeah, I've actually I've actually been in her class, which is shocking. That uh, that, <laughs> she, that she would. Well, have. I want to know, Sean. Did you learn anything in her class? Or I did. I I, I learned that I have a lot to learn. Okay. Good, good. How about that? <laughs> so, uh, so Dan, before let's just. Oh, we're, we're not going to get you in trouble there, are we? Right, right there. I mean, come on now. Can I just, just cut in front of me and just want to let them know, hey, you kind of cut in front of me there. It's yeah. All right. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I like that. So, so even a nice guy from Michigan can lay on the horn a little bit. <laughs> well, if you're cutting, if you're gonna make me put on my brakes by cutting over my left headlight, I can let you know. Yeah, you do. You do. <laughs> hey, so, so you were at the sort of the season wrap up with uh, with AJ Hinch and Al Avila today. What what did you before we get into the season and what you thought? Because you you have the best view of uh, of anybody really. What what do you think today of of the wrap up and what they had to say? I think it's always interesting, always a good reminder hearing from both AJ and Al of how every off season is different, how you have to be flexible, how you have to have a plan going in, but that plan is almost surely going to be blown up early on, and <laughs> you better be flexible, and uh, you better be willing to you know talk to different guys. And like Al said, we're, we're interested in. in probably any of those guys that you're hearing about at shortstop, for instance. And then if the price is just not right or if the market is too hot, then you go to plan B. But I guarantee you they have a plan B. I guarantee you, A.J. Hinch, I've never seen a manager who has such a clear vision of what he wants to accomplish and then, you know, how you need to add these pieces to get better for next year. He's had that vision, you know, from early on this year. And he wanted to be able to show that he could get this many wins out of what he had. He, you know, he was working with a lot of kids this year. 
and they got to 77 wins, which is 30 more than the last 162 game season that the Tigers played. That's not a small thing. If it's 62 or 63, then you're not probably going to be as aggressive and or bold in the offseason. So I think he wanted to accomplish that. Now that they have, I think it's a great reminder as they talk about making a splash. Well, what does that mean? Who thought Robbie Grossman was going to make a splash? Was he an important player for the Tigers this year? Yeah, he was. And he was a bargain at $5 million. So I think they have an absolute idea of how they would like to get better. And then they're going to be flexible. And you just have to see how the market plays out. And it, it's different every year. I remember having these discussions every year with Dave Dombrowski. There wasn't one time when it was like, yeah, played out just like we thought it would. <laughs> we thought this guy would go early and we thought this guy would go for this much. It's always something different. So I think that was it was really interesting to hear how they're approaching it. But I think the key takeaway is they know what they have to do, the pieces they have to do to get better. The defense has to be better. They have to add that middle of the infield guy. They have to add a couple of starting pitchers. I think they can know how to build the bullpen cheap. I think they can go with the outfield they have, knowing that Riley Green is on the way. Derek Hill is going to be very good in center field if he can hit enough. Akil Badu only has upside to me. Robbie Grossman was terrific. But he, so he's got the outfield set. you got to find a catcher. But the priority number one to shore up the defense, it starts at shortstop. Hey, hey Carl, so quick, if you don't mind, if I, if I ask one one more question here. Dan, so you, you've been doing this a while here, and obviously it's been lean. Uh, we, we don't, we'll throw out the COVID year, right? It was just a, a strange situation yeah. for for the yeah for the whole planet. <laughs> at, at, yeah, at, we were all it was a yeah we were just out of whack. The the, the Earth was off its axis. But even before that, though, there's been some tough times down there. No. Did it take? Did yeah. it take you by surprise a little bit this year? And and what did that feel like that a little bit of expectation, even hope, came back? I mean, I think people were having fun down there for the first time in, in a good long oh, while. Yeah, I think you just felt it. I mean, after that 9-24 and 24 start, I mean, I, I remember saying at the time to anybody who asked, I'm like, I feel like this is, there's only one thing that's going to happen from here, and that's going to slow, steady climb. Because you could just see what they were doing with the talent they had and the changes they were making, you know, sending out the Jacoby Jones and Joey Menez. I mean, they, were, they weren't sending messages. It was just very clear. It's about performance at this level. And I don't know. I just I felt like it was starting to turn even at 9 and 24. And then you could just feel there was such a different feeling. When you watch how many games this year that they fought to the last out, sometimes came back, sometimes tied it came back and then lost. But the ninth, eight, you just expected, and that's a really different feeling, expected them to do something in the seventh, eighth, or ninth if they were behind to put together a rally and take one shot at it. They had some of the best at-bats against some of the toughest relievers. I mean, I've been looking at these numbers. The guy'd come in, and lefties and righties were hitting 180, 170. He shuts down lefties, righties, no power. And they put together these great at-bats. That, that really spoke volumes to me about the job that Scott Coolball did with what he had and how much better some of these guys got. What, what say you, Carlos? Yeah, Dan, I mean, you know, like Sean was saying, the lean years, you know, you know, 162, I mean, how, how much easier, I guess, does it make your job, you know, as a human, 
to watch better quality <laughs> baseball because it was it was very compelling baseball. I mean, they were. Yeah. I mean, AJ Hinch made a point of that today that we were fighting. You know, we were. You know, going on to the you know up until the last at bat and the the culture, the demeanor of the team was different. I mean, does that make it easier for you to not know what's going to be over in the fifth inning and you know six yes. straight losses or whatever? I mean. It, <laughs> Yeah, think how few long losing streaks they had after that 9-24 and 24 start. I think their two longest losing streaks are right in that first 33 games. And after that, it was, I think, four. Maybe there was a five, but I think it was four was the longest losing streak, which just kind of gets back to when you had that philosophy of win today and win series and you've got enough starting pitching, you're not going to have long losing streaks. That That's kind of step one. And it was a much better season to broadcast. And I love the the base running and the whole idea of putting pressure on. And AJ made the point after they, they were averaging about a stolen base a day for a month there. And then teams realized, Oh, we have to pay attention to their guys in first base. They started to shut down, but they never stopped trying to put pressure on opposing teams with a base running. And I love that. And it was an interesting brand of baseball. This season went fast for me. And I was wondering what it'd feel like after a 60 game season, some 162 game seasons are really long. This was not. <laughs> and I, it's because of everything we learned every day from AJ and his staff. And, you know, just those moments before the interview or after where he would just kind of sit and hold court if he had the time. There were some days he had to get to the hitters meeting. Uh, and then you just could get an insight into how he watches a game, how he watches a player, how he thinks about a pitcher's development. I mean, those were just priceless moments that added up to hours over the course of the season yeah just just one follow-up on that dan is just um how how valuable how refreshing is it even if for a for a veteran such as yourself to be learning something about the game from somebody who's willing to impart that knowledge right uh you know in a in a very in a very uh let's say non-condescending way i'm not going right. to mention any previous names but um someone who's willing to help you learn the game and share his knowledge. How, how refreshing is that? Oh, it was, I've never seen anybody so open and willing to talk about things off the record just to help you gain knowledge. It's just, I've never seen anything like it. I felt like, I mean, I've been doing this for 22 years. I told more than a few people, I feel like I'm taking a graduate class in, in baseball that I would, I had our intern transcribe every AJ interview that I did just because I knew I'd forget most of it. That's how my brain works. I don't retain all of it, <laughs> even if I take notes. But if I have a transcription of it, then I go back and reread it. And like, oh, I don't think I was even listening at this point because I was thinking of my next question. But look at this point that he just made. <laughs> so, yeah, it was it was really, really refreshing and just I mean, right from the start in spring, he had those kind of off-the-record sessions that gave us insight into how he thinks about constructing a roster, the things that they look at. I mean, just take something like the bullpen and how he explained it to us and kept kind of explaining it, not over and over, but helping us understand how he uses a bullpen. You think of the traditional best teams, they've got their seventh inning, eighth inning, ninth inning guy. They've got their four guys at the back end, and each one's got an inning. I mean, Kansas City had some pretty good success, didn't they, with that? Okay, that's great. Mm -hmm. But how he looks at it is, I've got relievers 
they've all got to be able to work multiple innings and get the opposite handed hitter out. So you can't just rely on lefty on lefty, righty on righty, especially with a three batter minimum rule. So before every series, he's talking to his relievers about, okay, we need you this series. This is a lefty loaded lineup. You're righty, but your stuff works against lefties best. And I've got you targeted for this part of the lineup. So going into a series, a guy knows, okay, Nelson Cruz coming up in the eighth inning. That's my time. So, and then as you understood it, so it was not just handedness, it was styles of pitching versus the style of hitter who was at the plate. And it really was interesting. So you could start to think along with A.J. Hinch, like, okay, you know, this guy's on the mound to start the inning, but you know his day almost surely ends here when this guy comes up. Or at least you can take an educated guess based on past history. And that's really interesting to me. But why do you think they got so much out of the bullpen? My goodness, the bullpen was third in ERA in the second half. And they missed his narrow and Soto for the last three weeks. They were getting really good innings out of Derek Holland, who, let's face it, had a tough year. I mean, they, they made everybody in that bullpen better. Alex Lang became a real nice piece. So anyway, just that's just one example of how, you know, they made me think differently about the game to understand how he manages the game and how he uses his guys and always, always, always looking to put his guys in position to succeed. Well, Dan, I, I want I want to give our and, and Carlos too, I want to give our listeners a little perspective here because because you, Dan, I mean, I, I haven't been around the baseball like I, I used to. I, I obviously or maybe not obviously. I mean obviously to you, Dan, but um but I was around enough, and and we were on the road together a lot, and uh, over several several years, maybe maybe more than that, when they were really good. And I always remember you with your notebooks and your ledgers, even down in Lakeland in spring training, and you were just always taking notes, always writing numbers down, always studying. And I always felt like there was very few people in any ballpark that knew the game better than you did. And so for you to feel like that, what as you said, twenty two years into this. I think that really really says something about how different and this is coming off of stretch over the last 5 6 years where all these new terms have been have become in the mainstream right the way the numbers we use to judge baseball have changed At, you know exit velocities and all all uh, spin rates and all that wasn't around when we were hanging out with Leland when he was walking around in his <laughs> underwear eating a plate of eggs you know what i mean so i, I just i just want our listeners to, to have an appreciation of just how I don't want to say radical, yeah. Dan, but how different AJ Hinch is uh, for you, who who spent the last generation studying this game as well as anybody. Yeah, and it just I mean, using the technology for Chris Fetter, and you know, the, I'm sure when people hear the word biomechanics, their eyes start to glaze over. But you know what? That's when you realize, okay, this guy, why is the ball coming out of his hand like we saw even a year ago? What's going on there? And you think, well, is it is it his motion? Is it his arm swing? And then Chris Fetter will get down to. He goes right down the chain to the ankle. He's not pushing off the – I mean, this is just one example. Not pushing off the rubber like he needs to. His foot is off the ground when it should still be pushing off. He's lost velocity because of that. Ball's not coming out of his hand. And then all of a sudden – and this is with Matt Manning. You know, all of a sudden, okay, now you get back to you're pushing off. Matt Manning described it as I became more violent on the mound. And all of a sudden, all those smooth mechanics that A.J. Hinch would, you know, talk about, it's, it's pretty, but – we got to get him firing off the mound, but that's the kind of, that's how they use technology. 
And Matt Manning, by the end of the year, that last start against Chicago was terrific. And it reminded you the stuff is there, but it's still a it's a process. No, for sure. This process, though, just to, just to be clear, again, for our listeners, and I'm sure our, our more baseball-savvy ones, like Carlos, uh, understand that when, when we say the phrase, we use the phrase biomechanics, we're not just saying Chris Fetter's l- looking with his eye, right? He's watching film, or he's using technology that's coming back through some kind of camera, or not camera, but screen somewhere that where you can slow it down and, and you can do all right. sorts of things. That's what you're talking about, right? Well, it, yeah, it's both. He, he sees it, too. He really does. But, yeah, the edutronic is the slow motion, and that can be with your hand, how the ball is coming out of your hand, what your fingers are doing, what your wrist is doing. And the edutronic is, you know, the thousand frames a second or whatever it is, ridiculous, super slow-mo. But that kind of visual feedback works for some guys. Sometimes it's the number. It's like they'll, they'll throw a pitch, they'll look at the number, they realize it's okay, and they don't, you know, they're not reacting it for every pitch, but over the course of four or five pitches, okay, this is, the, this is the efficiency we're seeing. This is the spin we're seeing. Why don't we try this? And so it's for, I think for me, Chris Federer, you know, I, I, just based on watching him work with these pitchers, I think it's, it's all the above. Using the technology, but he, he sees stuff. He watches from the side, not just from behind. And then he sees how the body moves and what it is or isn't doing to be at its you know peak efficiency in terms of how the arm moves, how the body moves. Yes. To me, any coach that can see, and I'm always amazed. I remember I, I would watch film sometimes with with John Beeline or, or watch practice. And it was the same with Tom Izzo, these basketball coaches. You take it for granted what they see, but then you're standing next to them and they start pointing things out and you're like, I never would have seen that, right? That's it's that 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 kind of eye, and you realize because you you're you're a broadcaster, Carlos, and I think we know a little bit about sports. We have to, we write about it, but then you realize the layers and levels that separate us from from these folks. It's crazy. Yeah, layers and levels is a great way to put it because I just feel like there's one more layer every day <laughs> that you can feel away. You know, whether it's an outfielder first step and. Um, you know, AJ talked about that with Jacoby Jones right from the start in terms of, you know, we think he's a terrific center fielder and on a given day, he absolutely can be, but his pre-pitch preparation was not very good. And that means your first step is not going to be very good if you're not thinking about all the things you need to be thinking about before the ball even crosses the plate. So, I mean, those kinds of things. And he sees that. He sees when a guy gets a good jump. Uh, He sees where a guy is you know, not in the right line to hold plate. I don't see that stuff. You know, we had guys kind of drifting around second base some days. Well, he never missed it, but it trained us to start to look for, oh, there was nobody lined up to throw home on that play. You know, so then you can, that starts a conversation with the coach the next day. What went wrong there? Who was, not who was at fault, but who should have been where? And I can't follow, you know, you're following the ball, you're following the base runners, and I'm not always watching the fielders. But you're right. They don't miss a thing, and that's just they don't get on, guys. It's just like, hey, this is something we're going to work on. These guys took infield every single day. I mean, except for, you know, the occasional Sunday maybe. But no other team does that. And it's not – it's never punishment. It's just like we got to work. This is how we're going to work. And when we're good and we're better defensively, this is how we're going to work. <laughs> Carlson, I've talked about this, Dan. Do you do you like all of this? Do you, do you like where the sport's at right now? The evolution, the because you, you hear some complaints out there that you know the it's become too robotic or 
all the technology, all the numbers. I mean, wh- what do you think of, of where the sport's at and how we look at it? Yeah, I, I mean, I hear that, but I, the, the complaint kind of puzzles me. I, I would say the one valid um, complaint or at least the thing that everybody is, I think the Tigers and many others are trying to balance. Let's talk about outfield instincts or even infield instincts, but especially outfield. They've got very precise positioning charts that George Lombard, a system that he brought with him from L.A., that is not just left and right, but it's how far in and how far back per hitter, you know, based on the pitcher he's facing. I mean, it's a, every time you see a pitching change, what did you see? You saw a kid from the dugout run out with new laminated cards. And now for some, that may be just a little bit too much. But what the Tigers are always balancing, in other words, you become a slave to the card. They always want to make sure you're not. That they're, they're, this, is, this is what our best, you know, estimate is of where he's going to hit the ball. The best positioning for this guy against this pitcher. But you, your obligation is to make sure you're watching the ball cross home plate and you're watching the swing, and that if you feel it, if you feel that this guy's missing his target or you know he's going outside and you know this guy is absolutely can't pull that ball, cheat a little bit more to the left to go against the card, that's fine, as long as you can tell me why you did it. So that the whole balancing of not being a slave to the card versus the instincts that you have to develop, I get that debate, and believe me, they're very well aware of that. On the flip side, talking about players turning into robots, I just see this this staff using all the technology to give the players the best chance to succeed. I mean, they're not a robot, but you're giving them now the tools by putting them against this part of the lineup, by putting them in this part of the game to succeed against these guys. And Alex Lang goes really struggling to throw strikes, to having the confidence to throw strikes because you put him in three games in a row where he faced the bottom third of the order and he buried them. And now the confidence is growing. Now I'm going to throw that change up a little bit more. Well, that's because they, they've really worked on it. But again, that's all kind of numbers based and styles based and scouting. It's a lot of information that the coaches are distilling. So to me, it's not turning them into robots by any stretch. It's allowing them to succeed and grow grow the confidence for some of these young kids. And all of a sudden, an Alex Lang goes from an unusable piece to absolutely being a guy who's very intriguing for 2022. Yeah, and Dan, I think George Lombard might have, uh, he might have had to paste a few more of those uh, positioning cards up that uh, Yasiel Puig may have torn up in right field with the Dodgers, but uh, he should have he should have enough <laughs> left over, right, to, to hand out these days. Uh, so let me ask you this. How do you know Carlos <laughs> yeah. is a... Yeah, I think they've got players. <laughs> <laughs> so so how how is it that you know um the, the baseball in it you know for the listeners out there you know the baseball uh beat whether you're radio tv print it's the most grinding beat that you can have it's just constant you're at the ballpark all day 162 games you know uh postseason spring training you name it right um uh so how do you keep your sanity, Dan? What do you What do you do to get through a whole season, through the the, the daily, the in and out? I mean, I, I've I respected I've respected the hell out of anybody who covers baseball uh, because it's just it's just a tough tough job, and you have to have the right makeup for it. Um, you know, the kind of person who's calm on the freeways doesn't honk at other people, keeps their wits about them. But um, how do you do it, Dan? How do you do day in day out? How How, how do you keep that? you know, sanity and, and keep, 
keep the and you're doing the job at such a high level too. You really do learn very quickly to compartmentalize, and you're you're concentrating on that game that day. What's what makes today's game interesting? And that's something that Ernie helped just remind me of. Uh, why we love baseball when they started that first year, nine and 23, after they traded for Juan Gonzalez, they're supposed to be good. They, they weren't. Uh, okay. What's interesting about today's game. And then when you break it down to that, <laughs> take the AJ Hinch approach, what's interesting about today, you know, win a game today. Uh, it, then it just, I don't know. Then it becomes you're, you're around people who know this game at such a high level. And the fun part of this job is learning from them. That was the worst part of last year was, not being around anybody that you could have those casual conversations with. And, and you really just, for me, I just come to enjoy that part so much because I will never truly never know the game at the level that somebody who played it, coached it, managed it. I just won't, but okay, that's great. I get to learn something every day. Then if I, if I'm around and thinking about a question or two, uh, and that's, that's the beauty of the job. And I just love it. I love everything about it. I, I get energized for, I was really energized. It was like the Tampa series in September, two series against the race. Like I, I felt like this almost feels like a playoff series because we're not going to the playoffs, but this is about as, you know, good as it's going to get in terms of let's see how we do against the best team in the American league. They took four out of seven. And those are really good games. It raised our level of play. So I don't know. I've just come to love the game so much. And the day-to-day continue to try to call the quote unquote perfect game. That'll never happen, but that could be a goal every day. Every game's different, and you try just your best to describe it as well as possible, and that daily challenge alone makes this job interesting. Hey, Dan, uh, uh, you mentioned Ernie Harwell, and I'd like to, to – I mean, few people succeed in sports. I mean, it's awfully tough to follow a legend, no, no matter whether you're on the field or in a broadcast booth or – heck, I mean, you know, me trying to follow Carlos, right? That's just not – <laughs> That's a very difficult thing to do, and and I want to I want to I want to talk to you about the Harwell and getting into this business and your your broadcasting style, and we can also talk real quickly about your your sense of how good this team could be next year. But we need to take a a quick break. Can you stick around and, and uh, join us for the second section here? Absolutely. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. My name is Kerry Junior the second. I'm a podcast producer and reporter with the Detroit Free Press. And now the host of Freep's new weekly podcast, On the Line. Our job is to understand the issues and the people that the issues affect in our state and region and tell the news. I want Detroiters, I want Michiganders, I want Metro Detroiters to hear themselves and maybe get a sense of peace in this podcast. Maybe not in the topics we're covering, but in the sense that we're the Detroit Free Press. And you can come here to know what's happening and trust that we're going to tell the truth, give you the facts and do it authentically. We're going to give you the voices that are in those areas, whether it be in Owasso, whether it be in Petoskey, whether it be in Birmingham, Warren, Gross Point, Southwest Detroit. You know, we're going to give you what it sounds like to be there. So every Friday in your feed, wherever you get your podcast, when you press play, we want this podcast to sound like home. We want it to sound like Michigan. We want it to sound like Detroit. And I think that's all I got. So let the journey begin. All right, folks, welcome back to Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean. Uh, Carlos, I got it right that time on the second reference. I never do. I always mess that up. That's so impressive, Sean. I hope you're proud of it. I think it's the pressure of having one of the great broadcasters in this in, in, in this country. And, and it's true. Car- no, Dan, seriously, Carlos and I were talking about this uh, after we saw you earlier at, at Comerica Park. Uh, it, I don't know that there's a better 
play by play guy in, in, in any market in, in anywhere and probably in any sport, the, the city was, was lucky to get you. And the fact that you followed Ernie Harwell, um, you know, that's not so easy to do. Can you, can you tell us what that was like when you started to realize this was going to happen? <laughs> yeah, it took a while. Thanks for the nice words. Uh, it, it did take a while. I remember he, he announced in 2002 spring training that this would be his last year. Uh, so the speculation's going all season long about who's going to take his spot. You know, who's going to replace Ernie? I always say follow Ernie. Nobody replaces Ernie. And so that speculation went on. And, of course, my name's in the mix. But, oh, my goodness, the speculation went into October and November. And finally, I didn't learn until December that I would be I would get that job. So uh, that whole process was a little bit stressful. I just you know what, though, I just figured. I don't know. I, I felt very good about my chances because when you're replacing somebody who's a legend, he's a legend. I think the Tigers had learned, I mean, quite honestly, that when he was let go in the 90s, they brought in two guys from out of town, Bob Rath and Rick Riz. They never had a chance because they were strange voices. It helps to have that three innings, three years of three innings in between Ernie's first three and last three. So now I'm on a familiar voice, not an unfamiliar voice. That was a, you know, that was a big deal to be in that spot. And Rick Riz, by the way, is a terrific person, a terrific broadcaster. And he just, you know, it just, it didn't work here for him. But I think part of it was he was a strange voice, an unknown quantity from out of town. So, so that certainly helped. And I, you know, Ernie just watching him for three years, growing up, listening to him, uh, by osmosis, I think I absorbed, I liked how he called the game, so I try to model myself in certain ways after him in terms of give a good call for both teams. Always appreciate the good play by both teams. You know, you're obviously the Tigers announcer, but go ahead and give the other team a good call, and you're obviously giving a little more to the Tigers because you're the guy for the home team. So, I don't know, I, I took a lot away from him and watched how he did his job, and Always remember, there's a story behind the numbers. I'm a numbers guy. I love the numbers, <laughs> but that that leads to those conversations. I use the numbers as okay. I look at something and I go, oh, that's interesting. Let me go ask somebody about this. So he was amazing. Uh, he opened a lot of doors for me, and certainly I think opened the door to me following him. And uh, that was kind of amazing. You know, Dan. You know, we were talking about this a little bit earlier uh, at, at Comerica, but. Uh, me growing up an L.A. guy, I mean, Vin Scully was our Ernie Harwell. And it's interesting, the Dodgers did the same thing with Joe Davis, is Vin didn't travel uh, the last few years that he was doing the Dodgers, uh, obviously on TV. Yeah. And they brought Joe in, and he did the road games. And I think it was Oral Hershiser and maybe Nomar Garcia Parra. And it got people used to Joe Davis, who was not a known quantity. He's not from yes. California. I think that really helped the transition. And it was also people understood, we're never going to have Vin again. Vin was a, he was the Haley's Comet, you right. know. Um, but let me ask you this. <laughs> and I, I know you say you've been doing this 22 years, which means you were 12 or 13 when you started the job. But um what you're someone's going to have to follow you, Dan, and maybe 20 to 30 years from now when you hang it up. But, but I mean, that is that a kind of a different pressure? You're, you're kind of going to be the new Ernie. I mean, people you are, I mean, I don't know how much of a sense you get of this, but you are beloved. I mean, people just love turning on Dan Dirkerson. And I'll give you the highest compliment I can give a broadcaster is when I listen to you, I don't know if you're 
calling the games for the Tigers or for the other team? Because you're just right down the middle, even-handed. But do you ever think about that, your legacy, and that you're so entrenched here now? No, I just I just want to – I look at it as – legacy is a good word because it's kind of a legacy job, right? It's just like, okay, you're going to hand it off to the next person in good shape. <laughs> there have only been a few guys who had 15 years or more in this job. And, okay, I'm, I'm one of whatever, five I think it is. And, okay, I want to hand that off to the next guy. And I do think about – I mean, it's important. It will be important. You know, I don't know. I've always thought 70 was probably a good number. I'm 62, about to turn 63. So, you know, give or take a couple of years, as long as I love the job, uh, I'll continue to do it. I know I'm not going to go into my 80s. So anyway, 70 has always been my round number. And then you think, okay, to be fair to that person, whoever that might be, you know, we've got to think about how you, um, you know, introduce that person to the Detroit audience. And I do think it's important. Um to have a familiar voice, and if not, then then you bring in somebody who's certainly has a style that reflects the market. You know, Rick Chris's style was very much a Seattle style um, because he'd grown up listening to Dave Niehaus, and so you know it, it was it's a very different style than here in Detroit or the I don't know if there's a Tigers broadcast style, but you know what I mean? I mean, it's just, so anyway, whatever that, that time comes, I've thought about that from time to time. I have no idea how that'll go. I mean, I've never had a middle innings guy. I do all nine innings, but you know, as we think about that in the years ahead, I, I do think it's important for, you know, to, to think about what works here. If it's not going to be a guy who's doing middle innings, you bring in somebody who, that I think the audience will accept because of how they call the game. Did, how much did you think about that? Or maybe you just had enough practice doing the middle innings for those first three years, but when you finally sort of got the wheel yourself for the whole game, uh, did, did you think a lot about how you wanted to call the game in terms of balancing numbers, painting a picture? I mean, you tell, yeah. you're, you're, telling, you're telling a story, too. I mean, Ernie was... Right. I mean, that, that was part of the reason Ernie Harwell was so so loved and iconic. Right. You you could see w- with his words, right? And right. and the the game has changed a lot. There are a lot more numbers, and I know you like you said you love numbers, and those are important. Have you had to change from your early days to evolve with how so many people report and write and think about the game? Um, I'm, certainly, I hope I've evolved, uh, but I've always tried to just make the numbers meaningful, and that's. You can't overstat a broadcast. I'm just convinced of that as much. But it is my job to look at those numbers. I better I better know what the numbers say so that I'm not just saying, this guy's a clutch hitter. Okay, what, what if he's really not? But he has come up with, you know, I should be able to back that up, right? This guy's Derek delivering. Derek <laughs> You know, you should be able to look that up, and you should be able to back it up. And you should be, if you're saying this guy's one of the best hitters in the American League, well, you should be able to back that up by the current stats, you know, whether it's OPS plus or weighted runs created plus, whatever you want to look at, but understand what, you know, those numbers say and why they are relevant, but I'm not going to drop a woba on people on the broadcast very often. I understand that people don't even, a lot of people don't know what slugging percentage is other than they have a rough concept. That's a power number. 
Um, so anyway, did you just say wait? Did you just wait? 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 Did you just say woba? Like, is that a character from <laughs> Weighted on base average plus? <laughs> no, I I know what I know what it I know what it is. I know, I know you is. do. Uh, Carl, Carlos doesn't believe that I know what it is. But no, I'm sorry. Conti- continue. Sorry to interrupt there. Go ahead. No, so just you want to make sure that you you know the the current thinking and numbers, and I'm interested in some of the Statcast defensive numbers, but you know some of the the expected. OPS doesn't, if it doesn't hold up, if it doesn't, if it's not a predictive number, if it doesn't help us understand the guys who maybe hit into some bad luck this year, um, then I'm not going to use it. So yeah, you, so anyway, there's always that balancing act of stats versus you can't overstat, but you have to be able, if you're going to say something about somebody, you have to be able to back it up. You know, I, I like to be able to say this guy doesn't get many swings and misses and, you know, because you've looked it up, you know, not just the strikeout rate, but he doesn't get many swings and misses. You're going to have to live with more inconsistency game to game and start to start with a guy who pitches to contact. There, That's how I would use numbers. But you've looked up about 10 different things to be able to say that, and it backs it up. You, you'll always see the low strikeout swing and miss guys have more inconsistency start to start. So that's kind of how I use the numbers. But in terms of my goal is always, always remember, 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 you better be able to paint the picture, making sure that you're painting the picture. You, does the listener have a clear understanding of what just happened? That was always kind of a nice little guide from Ernie when I was, you know, I remember early on, I explained a little trepidation about this new job that I'd never done before. And, just remember, get the call right. Get what's in front of you right. Does the listener have a clear understanding of what just happened? Everything else is style. He said that to me my first year when I was worried about whether I could do this job. And I thought, okay, I can do that. But that's kind of my guiding light, if you will, all these years. Just get what's in front of you right. And then, you know, I would add to that, paint the picture, describe. And, and I'm constantly tweaking you know, how I describe a pitcher's motion or how I describe a batter's stance or try, because you think about it, there's a hundred different stances out there, right? So you're trying to, trying to really, all right, how do I make this stance different than that stance, which really is quite similar (laughs) by using different adjectives, whatever it might be. So that's the constant challenge. And that's why I always talk about, I would love to call the perfect game. It'll never happen because there's just too many things that can go wrong, but it's fun to try. That's a, that, you know, and, and Dan, that's the thing. I, I think you're exactly right about painting the picture because, um, you know, that that's really what, especially on radio, you know, you really need to make that distinction. Um, and I think it really comes through, you know, because if you're just talking, I mean, it, years ago, years ago when the Dodgers used to simulcast their, their um, games, you know, radio and TV, um, they had another guy who did the middle innings for for Vin, Ross Porter, and he was a stat guy. He loved the stats. Yeah. And my dad, sometimes we'd be driving around, he'd, he'd say, well, Ross is on, um, you know, he'd maybe switch the radio to something else. <laughs> he it was a little bit too <laughs> stat heavy. And, uh, but Vin was like, Vin was like your, your grandfather, or your uncle telling you the story of the Dodgers versus the Padres today, you know? And, and um, and that's that's what I feel what you do really well is you don't you're not overburdening us and yeah I mean if it's someone walks to the plate and they're over twelve yeah okay we need to know that uh you know launch right. launch angle spin rate uh, all that stuff uh, I'm not so sure and um but yeah it's it's uh it's so much appreciated 
uh, for someone like like Ernie said, you know, like it's all style. Tell us, describe it, paint a picture. Um, you, you just you just do it so artfully. I appreciate that. I do because I, I I really like you know I like hearing that. Just that you know because I, I do want to do that well, and it's a different medium than TV. It just is. I mean, it was fun to work with Dan Petrie and Craig Monroe this year. You know, both most of their experience has been in TV, and you know, for them to learn how to jump in and jump out, and they understood the differences, and. You know, it, it's very different and they, they can't talk over pitches. And But once they realize that, I thought they both did a terrific job. But that's that's why there's two very different styles when you're talking about radio versus versus television. And that's why I love radio. That's why I will never change over to TV. People have asked me through the years. Of, no, because I like the challenge of, of, of radio. <laughs> Dan, you've been with Jim Price uh, for what? Almost the whole time, right? On yeah, the whole time. Yeah. All 22 years. And you, you guys have a, a, a nice chemistry. And I know you like to you joke around each other. Obviously, he played for the Tigers. And so that's a, a different perspective. But um, how have you developed the chemistry you have with him? Because, you know, people poke at him sometimes. It was, <laughs> right? It, yeah. And most of it's good natured. But um, how have you kind of come to, to come to be who you two are over over this time? Oh, I just think, you know, that, that does take a little time to, to develop and uh, you know, we'd worked together for three years and I got the job, the number one job. And then he did a couple of innings and then he was, you know, then it was just strictly color. And you, you learn quickly. You can, you can joke with him. He understands the better pitcher matchup. He understands movement. Um, you know, and that's, that's something that it took me a while to learn. You have to watch a few, I don't know, hundred thousand pitches to really, <laughs> then you realize, Oh, that fastball, which was the same as the 95-mile-an-hour fastball we just saw a moment ago, this one had life. And you just have to see a few thousand pitches to recognize the difference between a fastball that's quite hittable today and one that's got life and getting swings and misses, judging on the what you're seeing on your monitor and what you're seeing with the swings of the guy at home plate. So I think – and he's got a really good understanding of that, and I think he's helped me – you know, watch the game that way. And he can, he can analyze the game that way. And he sees things and that's, uh, that's why it's always important to have the X player in the, in the broadcast booth. So Dan, um, for anybody listening out here, who's interested in, in sports media and, you know, I know you, you mentioned you're not going to go into TV. It's a different thing. Sean and I are not going into TV because we have faces for radio and not even faces for radio. We have faces for podcasts. So, uh, it's even worse than that, but, <laughs> and we have voices and we have voices for newspapers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> But if anybody, any of the young listeners out there who's thinking about being the next Dan Dickerson, wanting to get into radio broadcasting, what's some of your advice to them? You know, I, I never, I, I would get the advice, you know, go, you know, call a game off TV. I could never do that. Now think of the technology when I got that advice. That was 1980s TV. I do think, and I, I, I teach a class up here at Michigan State some winters, a six-week broadcast I call play-by-play 101. Um, but I think with the new technology, you can... And we've actually got a thing up here that we've got games that Big Ten U records where the because it's hard to call it off a silent TV. That's that's my opinion. I, and you can't call it over the announcers. So it's it's one of the two and neither is a great choice. But we've got some games up here with just the crowd noise. And so that's a great teaching tool. OK, so the vast audience doesn't have that. But that but that's a great reminder that you can call a game. You can practice 
by calling a game off TV. The monitors are so good. The TVs are so good right now that you, you can absolutely do that. They really weren't back in the day. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, it's, and I think we found last year, artificial crowd noise was better than nothing as, as much as it was not great. It was better than nothing. So, okay, get some generic crowd noise. You can't get the roar of the crowd for the big plays, but that that is not a bad way to practice. And the only way to get better is to practice. And then, you know, for students up here or for students who might be in high school, if nobody's calling your baseball games in the spring and I'll bet nobody is go practice. Hey, ask if you can just sit there and practice or better yet, almost everybody likes streaming. See if you can stream some, some baseball broadcasts. Guaranteed, there's a sport out there that is not being called by your high school. I, a lot of high schools have broadcast programs by their, you know, a streaming service or whatever it might be. Look for those opportunities. See if there's something in the budget at your high school where you can go call a game. There is just no better way to practice than being at the venue. Second best, I think now you can do it off TV. Spend a half an hour preparing. College basketball is a great way to start because you can be very basic and then you can develop your layers of description. It's what I kind of how I describe it to the students. So it's, when you're first calling it, get the ball across midcourt, get it from Smith to Jones to Johnson in the basket. Then it's he brings it across midcourt with a right handed dribble, calling the signals with the right hand. Bounce pass. You know what I mean? You can just keep adding the layers of description. But but that's why college basketball is a great sport because when it's fast, you realize, oh, boy, I got to keep up here and uh, learn how to go back and maybe describe <laughs> that dunk that we just saw. But I got to get the ball in the basket first because you don't want to be trailing the crowd noise. So little things like that. But always look for those opportunities to practice. And I would I would start in high school. And if you're in college and you're interested in the, the let's say your college radio station already has people that are you know calling games. Go to some local high schools and just say, hey, can, would you mind if I set up here and practice? And it sounds silly, but I'm telling you, if you're at the game and you've got some recording equipment, basic as can be, a microphone, a small mixer, or just a microphone that goes into your phone and a headset. And it, you'd be surprised at what kind of a tape you can get, first of all, but also how it just... It, the crowd's always going to energize you. It doesn't matter if it's 12 people or 1,200 at a high school game. They're going to energize you, and you're going to feel the game. I, I don't know how else to describe it. You're going to feel the game, and it's a great way to practice. But the reps are the only way to do it. But the thing is, you'll discover very quickly, and that's why I recommend going instead of just calling it off a monitor. Monitor's second. But if you go, you'll discover very quickly whether, yeah, I like this. I guarantee it. Even if it's just practice and there isn't a soul listening, you will come to love it. Or not. Or you'll say, you know what, this isn't for me. I'd rather do reporting, whatever it might be. But you'll you'll find out very quickly and it's very addictive. So <laughs> I warn you, if you get started, be careful. You'll 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 get hooked. Well, that's what Carlos and I are finding out here with the podcast. That's great advice, Dan. And by the way, Carlos, did you see what Dan did there? He brought in basketball because he's really a closet basketball announcer. <laughs> that's it that I'm that's so his scared. sport. Yeah, we, we, we have that in common. We used to talk about that often, often That's on the road. Trigger hey, warning. I know, I know. And listen, Dan, uh, you're probably you're probably uh, I don't know almost a Lake Michigan by now. We've kept you so long. <laughs> you know what? I've been, I've enjoyed it. I, He's in his hovercraft. I'm, yeah. I'm driving through campus right now, and there's nothing better than a fall afternoon on a campus, is there? <laughs> no, there, there, no, there's not. I'm going to be in uh, Lincoln 
this weekend actually uh, for Michigan Nebraska and it, you're right the, the, those kind of those kind of Saturdays the leaves start to change a little bit yeah it's uh, and and you know later in this month they start to fall and you're kind of scuffling through the leaves and they're a little wet and, <laughs> no it's it's a great scene Carlos Carlos wouldn't like that because that's too bucolic and and too pretty for him but. No, sir. <laughs> no, seriously. Thank you so. I'll be much on a putt putt course. Yeah, yeah. He'll be on a putt putt course. No, thanks, Dan. Uh, thanks for giving us all this time and and uh, joining us today on your on your drive up there to lovely Michigan State. Great way to spend the time. Yeah. Hopefully, we can have you back in the spring, and we'll talk a little bit more about the upcoming season and what you think uh, the chances of this team of making the playoffs. Because Carlos. Carlos thinks they have to make the playoffs, or Chris Hellich needs to sell the team. Yeah. I mean, he's he's harsh like that. Sli- a slight overstatement. Yeah, no, I'm 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 kidding, I'm kidding. But no, in all seriousness, Dan, thanks thanks again for having us, and uh, hopefully we will run into you down the road soon. I'm gonna say, by the way, I kick the field goal when you're done set up a little bit later on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh yeah, I know. Oh, I know. It's it's crazy. That's the one thing that brings us all together. I was real quickly. I was at a. A press a media press conference for the Pistons for their media day last week, and Troy Weaver, the general manager, held his press conference. We're done. He starts to stand up and he looks out and he said, "Are we off the record? Is there all the recording devices shut down?" Everybody, everybody said, "Everybody says yes." He looks out and he says, "Did anybody see the Lions game?" And starts shaking his head, and then he walked off. <laughs> Uh, oh, sports. So it, they bring us together. I know. <laughs> I know. Well, say hi, say hi to Lori for us, and, uh, and we will talk to you soon, Dan. All right, guys. Enjoy the conversation. Thanks for the nice words. Have a good one. You too. Bye. That was uh, the great Dan Dickerson, everyone. We are going to come back. I think we have a tiny bit of time to talk about the, those fourth down plays, and we'll get to the favorite thing after this short break. Hello. I'm Phil Friend, the host and producer of Spartan Speak, a podcast collaboration between the Detroit Free Press and Lansing State Journal focusing on Michigan State sports. Each week, I'm joined by the OGs of the MSU podcasting game, free beat writer Chris Slaurie and LSJ sports columnist Graham Couch, as we discuss and dissect the latest sports news coming out of East Lansing. Not only is Spartan Speak one of, if not the longest-running MSU sports podcast out there, you won't find a show with two people as clued into the Spartans as Chris and Graham, each of whom has spent a decade-plus covering MSU and bring years of institutional knowledge and insight to the podcast. And once in a while, they'll let me throw out a take as well. Along with discussing the latest news, we'll break down the Spartans' last game on the hardwood and the gridiron. What went right? What went wrong? Jet sweep. Again? For both Mel Tucker and Tom Izzo, get you ready for the next game, make predictions, and so much more. We can also guarantee at least one reference to Kalamazoo every podcast. So if you haven't already, download, subscribe, and listen to Spartans Speak on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or on your podcast app of choice. You, you ready, Carlos? I am. Okay, now we get to talk to each other. Ugh. Ugh. No, it's my favorite part, actually. Hey, folks. Welcome back to Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean. Um, I don't think I said this at the top of the show. I hope it's obvious through my uh, monotonous mumble, but I am Sean Windsor, and you are, well, not you, but you, Carlos. Menares, what do you do, Carlos, for the Free Press? You do what you want, don't you? I do whatever I want. I bring you coffee and donuts, whatever, whatever your heart desires, Sean. I'm I'm there for you. Well, my heart doesn't desire donuts, and uh, if it's coffee, it's got to be decaf. Because as you know me, I am I have so much energy, I bounce off the walls. So I'm not <laughs> laconic or anything like that at all. And a little caffeine does not uh, does not do my body any good. No, seriously, that was uh, 
that was another uh, great conversation, Carlos. It was that was really fun having Dan Dickerson in uh, on the day that the Tigers actually kind of wrapped up their season. Well, no, a couple of, a day after, right? Two days after. I'm confused. Sorry. <laughs> well, that's there's nothing new about that, but yeah, D- Dan's just great. I mean, he's just one of these, you know, almost walking encyclopedic type people and you know like we just talked to him i mean he just he just has such a thirst and you know for the game and and he's so invested and it's it's always it's always invigorating to me to talk to somebody like that who loves their job who doesn't get tired of it because you know in the in this business it can be a grind um so it's always i always love seeing dan he's always smiling he's always up he's never moping uh, opposite of you and me, Sean. So it's it's always great to see Dan. No, he hides his melancholy well, right? And whatever frustration he may be, like anybody having about the world, no, he hides it well. And, and again, and we talked about this a little bit, but he, Carlos, following somebody like Ernie Hartwell, right? Oh, my God. You know, any, anytime, anytime you follow a, a, somebody who's iconic at what they do, or sort of legendary, and we, we probably toss that word around too much these days, but I think it's uh, an appropriate one for Ernie Hartwell. And and Dan's not gonna reach that sort of romantic status because the our culture's different and the, and and baseball's place in it is different and it's a different era and and Ernie Harwell called the Tigers games when baseball was the king right when baseball was the sport before the NFL took over when radio was was the principal medium and uh, so there's no way to match kind of that but for for what we have right now the technology the, the where baseball is in our culture boy it's it's hard to imagine anybody better following Harwell oh yeah and it's it's just one of these you know and Ernie had you know he had the the southern you know drawl and he did, and, and he did. these guys you know i mean it, you and i grew up you know listening to to him and Vin and before our time a little bit, you know, Red Barber and Mel Allen and all these, I mean, these are just giants of the industry, you know, and kind of all around the same time. And uh, like you said, baseball was king, you know, and, and it's just so hard and, and to, to lose people like Ernie and Ernie was, you know, if people, I'm sure people in Detroit know this, but he was just one of the most generous, lovely humans you would ever meet um, on top of it. So it's really nice that someone as thoroughly decent and likable and a good human like Ernie was followed equally by someone as likable and nice and decent of a human like Dan Dickerson. Um, And I think, Sean, you know, there's a lot of kids now, right? Your kids maybe even, they more grew up probably with Dan than they did with Ernie. And in another 10 years or so, it's going to be hard to follow Dan. It it is, and it's it's hard to follow. Uh, you know this nice, positive, optimistic uh, talk about tigers and and Dan Dickerson's uh, fabulous play by play with <laughs> you know the bane of southwestern or southeastern Michigan's existence. I mean, right? I mean the the the, the source <laughs> of all this pain. I mean, come on, man. Okay, let's let's. We don't want to recap the whole game. We're moving forward. Uh, the Lions lost to, to the Bears in Chicago. You and I were both there. It's Soldier Field, but uh, l- let's look forward a little bit. Do you do you go for it on fourth and five inside the red zone when the, the three three previous plays have gained you absolutely no nothing, and you don't really have anybody to you know throw a fade to? Calvin Johnson's not on that roster. No, and and you know I've always said this. This is one of the the few things I truly believe in in football. 
and you don't chase points in the first half. You know, I mean, they were only down fourteen nothing. Keep with it. You know, don't don't pass up points just for all this talk of, you know, chest pounding aggressiveness and whatever. Keep yourself in the game as long as you can. And the and the other thing is, know your point opponent. You're not playing the Chiefs or the Rams. You you don't have to score forty points probably in this game. You just have to keep pace. So as good as it might feel to get that touchdown, or or even if you don't, and then oh, or the defense is going to make a stand, which they did. You know, don't do it. Just don't make it. Don't overcomplicate it. Just get the three points and move on. You know, keep pace. Keep keep the keep it moving. Well, okay. What about you? What do you think? I, I didn't, I didn't love it at the time, the fourth and five, because, but it had more to do with uh, what they'd done the three previous plays. It just felt like they they didn't have a play, at least at that spot. You know, if, there's momentum and flow and all that, and they and even though they'd moved the ball, they weirdly didn't have any flow right there. So I thought take the field goal. It's early. The last one, the fourth and one, when they were down by ten, I didn't mind them going for it. I know. Uh, Campbell and even Jared Goff, the quarterback, Dan Campbell, the coach, head coach, talked about maybe would have wanted to huddle, settle down a little bit, but they gambled that they were, you know, kind of going to no huddle and flowing there, so they did have a flow, but then it was a little bit too chaotic, and Goff just missed the out pass on the on the fourth and one. But I didn't mind that one at all. Did you? I didn't like it either because that's another situation where you know the game's over, you don't get it, and the game's over. And you kick a field goal, which you're going to need anyway. Then you kick an onside kick, and maybe you recover and you you get a touchdown. But you miss that, you know. And I understand that you know there was they were in the two minute offense. Everything is kind of going fast. But that's the whole point too of this coaching staff with Campbell and the rest of them is they're not um, experienced enough. You know, he's basically a rookie head coach. They're not experienced enough in those in those hectic moments. To, to be the voice of reason and calm things down and, hey, let's take a time out here. Let's let's huddle up, whatever it is. Uh, let's think about what we're doing here. Um, and like you said, if they had huddled up and come up with a better play, uh, may, maybe, that's, maybe that works out. Um, that's a different situation. We have time to think. What do we want to do here? What's our option? Um, but I, I say don't, don't take your, you know, you're not much of a golfer, Sean. I know that. I am. I'm terrible. And in golf, you know, we just had the Ryder Cup. You're terrible, and, and I'm not much better, actually, but I, I've played a lot of match play in my day, and one of the things, the, the basic you know, concepts in match play is don't take yourself out of the hole. Don't do something you don't have to do. Don't go for a hero shot. Don't try to chip it two feet when you can lay up or whatever it is. Don't do something that gives somebody else the advantage through your own dumb actions. You know, Keep yourself in the game as long as possible. So I would have preferred a field goal there. Um, and give yourself a chance because they needed a touchdown anyway. So um, I didn't have as much of a problem with that one as the one in the first half, but still uh, don't take yourself out of the game. Well, the math, the, the analytics and math say go for it, especially in the fourth and one. And maybe they do for fourth and five. I haven't studied those. I, to me, that was just more of a feeling in the moment. But uh, look, we're we're going to be able to do this every week. Um, I, I'm afraid. I mean, maybe not. I don't know. They, they find a win here or there. Carlos, but uh, I don't even know. I just and I wrote this after after the game, and I'm sure you didn't read it, and I don't I don't blame you, but uh, I really feel like he can he can <laughs> learn the math, he can get a feel for when to go and in a play calling. You and I talked about this yesterday. We talked about this for a while while we were we we're waiting, and you were taking a Cadillac SUV drive back from Chicago. That 
the, the the bigger charge is to how to keep this team from going numb, right? It was the word Jared Goff used. I think uh, Dan Campbell used it, right? How Because they know they're going to lose a lot. So how do you keep them invested and getting better? I mean, you know, guys are playing for contracts and stuff like that. But to me, that's going to be his biggest challenge moving forward, showing development and, and all that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, the win, the wins and losses, I mean, you know, honestly, that 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 kind of matters like we talked about this after the game that matters to some of the players you know the guys certain people right the coaches need to need to win uh Jared Goff needs to win you know Quintez Cephas does not need to win you know he just needs to show improvement here and there up a little bit more steady progression um you know and I, I think this is a team that's you know it's it's fairly young it's growing yeah everybody wants to win a game but that's not really what this is about and I think the team knows you know they're going to win a handful of games this year um and that, that was the thing about the Sunday the game on Sunday is they should have been in it more. They should have been closer. You know, the Bears were there uh, for the taking. You know, they could have won this game. I think we all predict. A lot of people predicted that this that the Lions would win this game, um, and that's the disappointing thing is they were never really that close. And when they got close, they kind of shot themselves in the foot that way by passing up points when they didn't have to. Um, and I, I don't know if you know Dan Campbell's trying to prove a point, and we want to be aggressive, and maybe that feels good. And and like you said, you don't want to be numb. But I, I don't think you're going to go numb by getting a field goal and getting points and staying in the game. Um, you know, it's it's there's a time to be conservative and to be prudent. Um, so I, you know, the, the losses are going to be there, Sean. I mean, how many how many wins did you predict? Four or five game, four or five wins this year? I think five, and I'm feeling like a fool for predicting five. But yeah, I mean, and readers, are, I've I've got readers that are keep reminding me of it. Who, you know that are convinced it's going to be zero and seventeen. Yeah, no, it's not, and they, they, it's not going to be zero and seventeen. I mean, they, they're going to win a few games, and uh, up until this game, I felt like Dan Campbell had done as much as he could, you know, pretty much to do, to put his team in position to win. You know, on both sides of the ball, even though one side might have played better than the other a couple times. You know, mostly it was the offense playing better, um, but I think he was doing the right thing, sending the right message. And I think this is the one where he kind of outthought himself a little bit, outsmarted himself. Uh, he didn't need to do it. And the Bears are not a good team, um, you know, and it was just, but you know what? Credit to the Bears. I mean, their, their backs are against the wall. You know, Matt Nagy's fighting for his job. 61,000 people showed up to a game they had no business showing up to on a rainy day in Chicago. And great, they, great fan base. Great, great fan, fan base. base. Awesome. And they, they, they got that win, man. They did what they needed to do. Um, you know, Justin Fields played as well as he needed to play. So that, that, that was a well-played game by the Bears, a, a, a prudent game on their, on their behalf. So credit to the Bears. Lions should have been in it more. It definitely could have won that game. I agree, and uh, I have a feeling we're going to be having similar conversations for a while. But uh, for this week, I think that's probably enough of that. I hope you agree. I assume you agree, Carlos. That's uh, too bad if you don't, because it's time for your favorite thing. we got to get back on a positive note here, man. <laughs> Bring a little sunshine. Does it's, it have uh, to be? Well, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be – well, it's gray today, you know, so I'm, I'm – uh, you know, I don't – right? we got to bring a little something. So, no, seriously, tell them, uh, tell the folks out there what your favorite thing was for this last week. Well, so my favorite thing is actually tied to the Lions game and the it's Bears all, game. It's always two with you. It's always two with you. No, no, no. It's 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 just tied to it. That's it. And I'm not. There's not two things. There's one oh, thing. Oh, tied to it. Tied, tied to, to it. it. Yeah, that's my Associated. Call. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, said it. I know yeah, you like I big words. I don't hear very well. I'm sorry. 
<laughs> I, I, yeah, I don't hear very well. Sorry. Yeah. So, so you know, I was at the game, and and after the game, uh, you know, we finish up, we get out of there about I don't know seven or eight o'clock at night. Um, it's Sunday. Uh, there's not a lot of places to eat. The Briquette and I, Dave Briquette and I, are staying at the same hotel. The the, the hotel restaurant's closed. So we got to walk a few blocks to get some food. A place called the First Draft, which is a great name, right, for a restaurant. The First Draft. It's a draft. It's a it's a pub, but also for journalists, right? It's a first draft of your story. It's it's very appropriate. So this place is just a few blocks from Soldier Field, and we walk in. We're getting food, and uh, the Bucks Patriots game is on, and there's just a, a fair amount of people. A lot of people there for a Sunday night cheering watching the game tom brady's return to new england you know and there was just a really cool vibe around downtown chicago by the soldier field area the loop you know people wearing bears gear and you know because we cover games in detroit you know when we're home for games we cover the game sean you know uh, and when we're tired and we just go home and that's it we don't hang around downtown or anything like that unless there's a, a fellow journalist a friend visiting we might hang out with them but it, it doesn't happen that often but it was just so cool. It reminded me of how cool it is to walk around one of the great old NFL cities after a game, you know. And it was just it, it was just a nice um, reminder that you know you shouldn't take these games for granted. You shouldn't take these cities, these old great cities like Detroit and and, and Chicago and Green Bay, you know, even Minneapolis. You know, sixty one thousand. I looked it up, Sean. There were sixty one thousand people at this game for the Lions. And that was more, a few, maybe a few hundred more than their home opener against the Bengals on a sunny 80-degree day. And yeah, it's a division rival. Maybe there's some Lions fans there that added to it. But that crowd was was really strong and impressive. And I think that that city just it just vibrates with Bears excitement and tension. Um, so it was just a really cool thing to walk around downtown and and be reminded of you know the NFC North, you know the one of the great cities in the in the conference. So it was it was a nice special moment that I got to share with Dave Burkett. Well, it's uh, well that sounds a uh, beautiful, and I'm I'm gonna get the Kleenex here so I can dab <laughs> the tears from my eyes, but. <laughs> Actually, mine ties into uh, to use the word uh, the ties to. How about that phrase? Same phrase. Now that I understand <laughs> what you're saying, because I'm a little slow, I guess probably slower by the week. But uh, Carlos, my favorite thing also has to do with the trip to Chicago, but it's specific to you. I was uh, really, really happy to see you in Chicago, and it didn't matter. It could have been anywhere, really. But I was happy to see you outside of Michigan. And on the road, you know, out of your natural habitat. It was like if a polar bear kind of got out of the, the zoo up on Woodward and, and wandered downtown and just started walking around the streets and had a cup of coffee. I felt like that was you. You were you were out of the bubble. You know, I mean, I know occasionally you leak out to a golf course and amble around those, but you were out into the world and it was it was really fun to have you out there. You know, I know you don't necessarily love traveling and for good reasons lately – you know, it's good to be cautious and so forth, but uh, but it was really fun to have you out there. So that was my favorite thing. Well, I was able to to you know to cut the the ankle bracelet off, and I was able to escape for a few uh, for a few hours. So yes, um, yes, yeah. No, it was fun, Sean, and I and I think also mostly you liked it because that was your IT support feeding you quotes and helping get on the internet and telling you where the food was. That's really. I was basically like a little wind-up monkey with a hat on, helping you get your stuff that you needed at the in the press box, right? Well, you actually did, yeah. You 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 remembered a quote from an introductory from Dan Campbell's introductory press conference, which kind of tied into with what I was doing. So that was, 
I owe you one for that for sure. And then you sent it to me, you emailed it to me. And I know that took, you know, five, six seconds. So that was a huge sacrifice. And I'm grateful <laughs> that you sent it to no, in, in all seriousness, the fact that you were able to recall that out of your memory, that was, that was great. And, um, I don't recall you getting me any, anything to eat though. I guess we could work on that for next time. We can, and we have to. We have to admit to the to the to our audience. They may hate us for this, but you and I both got hot dogs at halftime, and we put mustard and ketchup on them. Right? We did, and I and if they would have had onion, I would have put a little chopped onion on it. They didn't have it. It's sort of the COVID COVID uh, rule, I guess. In stadiums, you know, you don't have that sort of thing. <laughs> at least up in press boxes. Not that we're complaining. We're there. We're watching a game. We, you know, it's. Uh, it's a it's a, a kind of a fun way to make a living, but um, but yes, we did put ketchup. Clint Eastwood probably would not approve, but you know what? That's okay. <laughs> Clint Eastwood doesn't get to dictate everything anymore, does he? That was in Dirty Harry, right? I think it was Dirty Harry. Either that or one of the follow-ups, Magnum. No, it wasn't a Magnum one. I don't remember which one it was, but I think it was. They were all. The I same. could be wrong. Maybe some. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> exactly. Sudden impact. Somebody else something. There was smarter than us. Sudden impact. Yeah, all those all those eighties and nineties names. Well Dirty Hair was in the seventies, I think late seventies. It was. Anyway, we don't want to get off that road. Maybe we'll we'll break all that down at a later podcast. But Carlos, once again it was a pleasure. Um it was fun having uh having an hour or so to speak with you where you were actually being sincere and nice to me and kind to me or pretending to be. I'm really grateful for that. Don't expect it next week. Well, that's our show for this week. Thanks for listening and taking your time out of your busy schedule. I assume most of you are busy, probably busier than Carlos and I are, to listen to us. Our producer, uh, as always, is Ted Davis. Our executive producers are Kirk and Crawford and Anjanette Delgado. They're also executive editors. I'm not sure which one they like more, Ted. Maybe you can uh, clarify that for me for next week so we don't get in trouble. And, of course, the big guy, Peter Bhatti, who's the executive editor of the Free Press and makes this all possible. If you like the show, leave a rating, subscribe, or share it. It really helps new listeners find us. We will see you next week. 